0: Hey, so we're back in Esther, um, as you know, uh, and we're in the, the most hilarious chapter of all of them, right? So. The thing is, uh, hopefully you've been reading through Esther each week with our cool little bookmarks, and one of the things I always find when I read through it, and this is kind of terrible, but this is me being honest, right? Chapter one's kind of interesting for history, two and three, you're like, ah, uh, four, you're like, ah, uh, five, you're like, ah, uh, six, you're like, woo 7 you're just dying, right? And then it keeps getting crazy, so is anyone with me yeah. on that? Yeah? Oh, it's so funny. So... Uh, I'm trying to be calm because I'm so excited about actually just getting into it. Hey, so quick summary. If you're like, what? Esther, who? What's happening? Um, Let me give you a quick summary. So there's four main characters, right? So uh, one is Xerxes, King Xerxes. And Xerxes is like super powerful. So remember, they rule from India to Ethiopia. So basically the whole known world, right? And so he's super powerful, and he just doesn't give a rip about anyone, doesn't care about anyone, right? Um, Second person is Mordecai. So Mordecai is a Jewish noble, and he's now really high up in Xerxes' parliament, right, his administration. So he's become super important. Uh, Esther is now the queen. She's been queen at this point in the story for at least five years, maybe six years, so she's pretty established, uh, in that role as queen. She's also a Jew, but she hasn't told anyone. She's kept it a secret because Mordecai told her to keep it a secret. So no one, apart from Mordecai, uh, knows she's a Jew. And then we have Haman. Everyone go, boo, boo, boo. hey. Okay. killed everyone. So I have the microphone, which means for some weird reason I have supreme power over you all, right? So you've got to interact. So we're all going to say boo when I say Haman, okay? Haman? Ooh. Okay, that's good. Don't do that anymore because I'll freak out. But. So Heyman's just a total jerk, and you, out. Anyone else? No. So this guy's name, who starts with H, no. Um, So Haman is this real bad guy in the story, and he hates Mordecai, and more than that, he hates all the Jews. So he hates every Jew, wants them all just to be annihilated and killed, right, which is his crazy plan. He seems like a total loser when you read it, but somehow he's become the second most important person in the whole kingdom. And it just doesn't add up. You're like, he's a total jerk, seems like a complete loser but yet he's the second, what, how's this going on? And then to make things even more crazy, he's just, because he hates Mordecai so much, he's just erected a 23 meter, that's pretty high, 23 meter high pole, which he's going to impale Mordecai on, which is just awesome. And I'm like, normally the poles were like 10, 15, 20 feet high, I'm still old, so I use feet. Um, But this is 75 feet, it's just He's just nuts, because he hates Mordecai so much, right? So that's kind of where we're at in in the story. So here's the title I gave it. Um, I'd wrestled with a whole bunch of titles, but this is what I came up with. My timing is usually usually rubbish. Um, God's timing is always good. Um, If you know me, I'm just always in a hurry, right? I'm always just racing around like a nutter. And the number of times I say to people, I'm trying to be respectful, this is what I say. So starting now. I'm trying to be respectful to God, but man, his timing is just nuts, or his timing is weird. He drives me crazy, because he's so slow, and if I was God, which would be bad for all of us, and then we'd laugh and go, yeah, we're really glad you're not. Um, amen. <laughs> so my timing, and probably you'd agree, your timing, our timing can be rubbish, but God's timing is frustrating, but it's good. He knows what he's doing. We've got to trust him in that, right? We've got to trust him in that. Um, so we're going to break up the thing. We're going to read a few verses. Then I'm going to talk about it, read a few verses, and talk about it. So here's the first one. Um, the first few verses. And I gave it this little title, Sleep or God Wanting to Speak? I was trying to do a thing with sleep and speak. Did you get that, A, eh? Cool, thanks, team. Sleep or God Wanting to Speak? God's timing's always good. Um, so let's read uh, the, first, um, the first few verses in, in the story, and we'll get into it. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Esther 6. And we're going to read these first three verses. Um, That night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Thana. Turn to someone and say, Big Thana, just because that's the coolest name ever. (laughs) Big Thana. I'm like, come on, Big Thana. Um, In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed, exposed the plot of Big Thana in Teresh. Two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters, they had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. Um, What uh, what reward or recognition did we give Mordecai for this, the king asked. And his attendants replied, what? (laughs) Nothing's been done for him. Um, As we get into the story, this will make a lot more sense. So if you haven't read Esther lately, just trust me on this. The timing here is just absolutely hilarious, right? So the king can't sleep. He asks that he would have had a librarian, um, a librarian who would always be on call for the king, and he can't sleep, so he says to the librarian, read to me, right? Because who knows? You read something boring, you just start falling asleep straight away, yeah? See? Participation. You guys are awesome. Um, And so he gets this guy to come in and start reading, and he's reading the history of the king's reign. The king's uh, king Xerxes has been king for about 12 years now. Uh, and kings back then, we have records obviously from this time, so we can check all this out. Their records were, were very, very detailed, really detailed, and that often have multiple. Um, I don't know, like books or series or whatever you want to call it. Uh, they'd often be one of uh, people who'd been blessed and were really good in the kingdom. They'd be one of all their battles and wars. They'd be one of all the amazing exploits the king had done, all these different ones. And what it looks like in here is that he just says um, the attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign. He doesn't seem to specify it. And so this is where I start going, oh, my gosh. You start really seeing the hand of God in the story, right? And so that, I just find this funny. He, he doesn't sleep. He just, oh, I can't sleep. Could have done a million things. He's the king. But he decides, no, nah, someone read to me. Give me a book and start reading. And the guy just happens to turn to the exact page in this volume, which would have been ginormous, where they forgot to honor Mordecai, right? Are you with me, eh? Yeah. It's kind of like, really? So I was visiting with John and Roz uh, this week. Joseph and I popped out to... Um, up with them this past week and we were talking a bit about just God's timing and God's hand and how easy it is to miss it and think oh it was just coincidence and Roz who is the master of cool phrases said this cool phrase to me now some of you will think it's super cheesy and that's fine but I think it's kind of cool so this is what she said oh yeah, sometimes it's coincidence but sometimes it's a God incident." oh see what she did there pretty good so we're going to say this to each other a few times as we go through, because when you see that, you're like, man, was it just a coincidence that the librarian just happened to turn to the right page? Or was it a God incidence? Oh, so turn to someone beside you and say, coincidence or God incidence? Is that all good? All good? Uh, I, just find this, um, I just find this really fascinating, right? My, one of my questions is, I wonder, did God wake up Xerxes? <laughs> Um, God might have allowed him to wake up, but sometimes God is very intentional uh, in the way he works. And I'd love to know, did God literally wake up Xerxes? And he wakes up, he can't get back to sleep. Why? Because the creator of the universe is keeping him awake because he's about to put a whole series of events um, in order. And, and this made me think this week, man, I wonder, I, I wake up a lot in the night, um, which is a pain in the whatever. Um, and I've, I've been thinking, man, I wonder how often God wakes me up or I wonder how often God allows me to wake up because he has something he wants me to, to hear from him, something he wants me to think about. Um, how often does he wake me up or allow me to wake up when he wants me to pray for someone, right? And so one of the things I've been doing a lot more lately is trying to be real intentional when I wake up in the night. I just lie there for a while and go, hey, God, <laughs> is there anything you're saying to me at the moment? Before I start getting all frustrated, do you know how you wake up in the night and you just get so frustrated because you can't go back to sleep, which then makes it impossible to go to sleep. I do. I um, do. Hey, God, I'm awake now. Is there anyone you want me to pray for? Uh, Anyone in the church? Anyone? And then I just pray. Anyone who pops into my head, which is often all you groovy people, um, and I just pray for you and then chill for a while and pray. I just wonder how often God does that, right? He's woken us up, and He wants us to listen to Him, to connect with Him, and and we miss it. Um, I wonder how often we're in such a rush, and God wants to interrupt our day, but we miss His interruption. Does that make sense, eh? We see it as a frustration, we see it as literally an interruption, but it's literally the crowd of the universe coming to us going, hey, I need you to stop what you're doing right now. I need you to think about this, or pray for this person, or be aware of me and be in my presence right now, just in a short little way. But sometimes we're rushing, and we're frustrated, and we just kind of miss it. Um, One of the weirdest things about being a pastor is you get paid to do a whole bunch of things that normal Jesus people don't get paid to do, right? Like, pray. Do you know, I literally get paid to pray. Hell, isn't that like kind of not good? I don't know, I don't know. Um, so I used to do little prayer walks all around uh, Franklin. And so during the day, just like three minutes here, five minutes there. And um, the day I'd be going crazy, I'd be getting stressed, I'd be um, working real focused and kind of going a bit nuts. And I'd just be like, oh, stop. And I go for a quick walk. And so I have these little loops I do. And so I just do this little, I have a little three-minute loop that's just a couple of blocks. And I just pray for you guys, which is weird. Some of you need a lot of prayer. Just saying, but I only got so much in a day. Um, go for a little prayer walk. Sometimes it's a bit longer, maybe five minutes. Again, it's not huge. Eh? And then back. Get into my work and stuff. Um, really cool. And this is this is confession. I'm always I always try and be real open, honest with you all, right? Um, One of the things I've found lately is I've been feeling really overwhelmed in the job and just stressed and just struggling. I just feel like, oh, my gosh, there's so much to do. I'm freaking out. I'm looking at my to-do list, which just keeps getting longer and my inbox and my email. And I was thinking about it this week, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I wonder this. and, And I haven't been doing my little prayer walks because I'm so stressed. I'm like, I don't have three minutes to go for a walk and pray. I need to work. What am I doing? And this is the thing I was thinking about this week. I was wondering, am I dropping the prayers because I'm just feeling so overwhelmed, or am I feeling so overwhelmed? Oh, I'm going to get a little emotional because I've dropped the prayers. <laughs> and instead of finding these little times during the day where God kind of interrupts it to connect with him and listen to him and commune with him and pray for you all, I'm like, next to-do list, next email, <laughs> go, 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 you know. I just wonder how many times in my day, and I'm obviously thinking of you all, I wonder how many times in your day God's come to interrupt you. <laughs> He's been waiting to talk to you, to listen to you, to comfort you, to challenge you. And we've woken up in the night and we're frustrated just trying to get back to sleep instead of listening for God or praying. or During the day, how do we, how do we put time into our day? Just a couple of minutes here, right? Now, I know heaps of you are like, Dude. <laughs> In my job, I don't get the, the blessing of going for a three-minute prayer walk. If I did, I'd be looking for a new job. Um, but all of us have, have things we can do. That we can figure out things in my day. What's just some little things I can put in my day where I'm just listening to God, right? So my question was, am I feeling overwhelmed and stressed because I've dropped these prayer things? And <laughs> my clear answer was like, duh, are you an idiot? Of course it is. So I'm working on getting those back in, Right? So this is the crazy thing. The fate of the entire Jewish Jewish nation is totally changed now simply because a guy couldn't sleep. (laughs) Simply because a guy couldn't sleep. And it's like, is this a coincidence or is this a a God incidence, right? Man. Hey, let's read some more of Esther because it starts getting hilarious now. So if you've got your Bible away, read along, but I happen to have one I prepared earlier for you all, so I've got one here. So Esther 6. This gets funny, right? So you've got to remember, Haman, who we hate, We don't hate him. We don't hate anyone, right? We love, but we don't like him. He just hates Mordecai, hates him. 75-foot pole, he's going to impale him on, which they usually did kill them first, but not always. So just imagine that for a bit, because that's nasty. And this is hilarious, right? So um, verse 4, Who was that in the outer court? The king inquired. As it happened, coincidence or God incidents? It's like, really? I find this hilarious, eh? Uh, as it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on a pole he'd prepared. Now, what has the king just been hearing read about? Mordecai saving his life, right? And don't forget, so big Thana and Teresh were, they are, it calls them eunuchs, but they were the inner guard. They would be the most highly trained people in the whole of Xerxes' army. And it's they're like his bodyguards. They're the last line of defense. So if anyone could kill him, it'd be them. Easy, Right. And so Mordecai has found a very viable threat. They check it out. They find those guys get impaled, which is nasty. So the king's literally just heard, oh, my gosh, Mordecai saved my life. How did we honor him? Oh, we forgot, which in their culture is just shocking. Next minute, Mordecai walks in, I mean, Amon walks in to ask for permission to kill the guy that just saved the king's life. It's like, God's timing's, oh, I just find this hilarious. You guys don't, I do, and I don't care about you, so that's all good, I'm going to carry on. Um, To impale Mordecai on the pole, he prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, oh, Haman's um, out in the court. Well, bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, and this is hilarious, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman, with the fattest head in the universe, that's me adding it, Haman with a giant fat head thought to himself, wow. (laughs) Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? Woo, he's such an idiot, eh? Oh, I just find it hilarious. So he replied to the king. I love this. If the king wishes to honor someone, in brackets, like myself, because I'm amazing, um, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as the horse that the king himself has ridden. One! One! with the royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honour is dressed in the king's robes, led through the city square on the king's horse and have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honour. Oh, just... It, I just die, right? Because the whole time he's thinking it's all about him. And you see what he's doing, right? He's wanting to be the king. You see that, eh? Because he's wanting to be dressed like the king, on the king's horse, and someone who's the, the highest noble saying, check out this guy, he's amazing. And it's just like, and the whole time you can see him going, oh my gosh, king, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. I will be on the horse, dressed as you, oh my goodness. He's just like... Oh, man, I'm just, I'm crying, right? I'm crying. You need to turn to someone and say, coincidence or God incident? Turn to someone and say that. Is it's okay? There's just so many little, like, in, in brackets, there's so many little coincidences just in that bit, and there's a whole pile coming. Um, so Haman's just walked in. As the kings read about Mordecai, it's just like, how is that timing so perfect? Oh, that's right, because the creator of the universe has orchestrated the perfect timing, right? It's not a coincidence. Um, I summarise them here. So this is how many little, like, oh my gosh, things have just happened, or, or like it says in there in verse 4, it just so happened, right? Um, the king can't sleep. The attendant just happens to read the right account. Mordecai just happened to be forgotten to be honoured, which, again, never happened in their culture because there were so many records being kept. Haman just happens to arrive perfectly timed. And Haman just happens to arrogantly misunderstand who the king's talking about. So he starts talking about himself. Oh my gosh, I just find this hilarious, eh? Um, It's easy for us to look back at this and see the hand of God everywhere, right? But I always think it's hard for us often, or for me anyway, to see the hand of God in my life sometimes. And often I'm asking myself this question, is that a coincidence? Was that God? I don't really know. Um, One of the things I really wanted to talk about in here is this whole how do we figure this out? How do I figure out when something crazy is happening? How do I figure out if if God's at work or do I need to do something here? Does it make sense, eh? When something hard happens, when something bad happens in my life, is is it leave it with God, he's got it? Or is it like, no, 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 I need to take this into my own hands and do something? Um, God never calls us to be doormats, right? He never calls us to be like Christian Jello, floating around just like, whoa, people can do whatever they want to me. Um... Sometimes God calls us to fight, but sometimes God calls us to leave it with Him, right? And you see that all the way through this book. And, and, and the thing I keep thinking about, this is a really hard balance to find, right? To me, this is a really hard balance to find. When something bad happens to me, do I fight for my rights or do I leave it with God? When I seem to have been skipped over for something or something I really wanted to happen doesn't happen, do I leave that with God or do I fight for that? Do you know what I'm saying, Hey, eh? How do I know? What's God doing in this situation? Um, God works in different ways with different people all the time. And I don't think there's a perfect answer here. The desire is that I'm in constant communion with God. So when something hits the fan or falls off the fan, I can be quiet with God and hear His voice of guidance. Sometimes He will tell me to fight, but sometimes He'll say, leave it with me. But the key is for me to be listening to Him, to be in communion with Him, so I can hear him. And I think sometimes if we don't, like I was saying, if we don't find these quiet times in our day, if we don't look for the interruptions of God where he's trying to talk to us, then we miss that, and we fight at the wrong time, or we leave it with God at the wrong, the wrong time. God's saying, fight for that. I will be with you. I'll empower you. Fight for that. And we're like, oh, I'm just going to let the Lord, and he's like, what? Another time we're fighting, and he's like, don't, don't. I've got this. Just let me work. And we are And the key is to be in that place of listening. How do I get myself to that place where I'm listening to God? I'm communing with Him. He's going to guide me, right? But I've got to make time to to listen to Him. Okay, the next verse, verse 10, to me is the funniest verse in the whole thing. Okay? So you've got to remember, our friend Mr. Haman thought the king wanted to honor him, so he wants to be all dressed up and ready to go. And here's our next, but we're going to read 10 to to 14 to the end of this um, chapter. So you've got to remember Haman standing there in his royal robes, just saying the king, this is how you should honour someone who's the man. <laughs> and, then, and remember, who does he hate most on the entire planet? Mordecai. Hates him. Hates him, right? And then verse 10, oh, my gosh. Excellent. The king said to Haman, quick, take the robes and my horse. Do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew <laughs> who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you've suggested. I, so I think I've said this to you before. One of my hopes in the new heavens and the new earth is that we can watch video replays of key events in history. Like imagine watching creation or, I don't know, the parting of the Red Sea or the resurrection of Jesus, right? This is one that I so want to watch on a massive screen with the camera zoomed in on Haven's face. So he's like, yeah, check me out. I just saw this and then imagine this, and then he has to do it. Verse eleven. So Haman took the robes, and I always put in this. I have read this heaps, right? I keep putting in. Suffer fuss-suffer fussle. You know what I mean? Like he's he's cussing under his vest. So Haman took the suffer suffer robes and put them on suffer Mordecai. Placed oh I keep doing that. Place them on the king's own horse. Let, you imagine how hard this is. He hates him. He's just got a pole. Oh, I led him through the city square shouting. <laughs> this is what the king does to someone he wishes to honor. Oh, imagine, how does he shout that? It'd Just be like. This is what the king does. He's leading the horse. The guy he hates is sitting on the horse dressed as the king. It's like, no. Oh my gosh. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. I need a minute. Verse 12. After Mordecai, and I love this. After Mordecai returned to the palace gate, he's like, eh. He just carries on. Um, But Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. Oh, my goodness. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, has he? I don't think so. We need to come back. Since Mordecai, this man who's humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet um, that Esther had prepared. Um, This, to me, is the saddest part of the story, these last couple of verses here. Um, We've had people impaled on poles. We've had a queen deposed. We've had threats to wipe out the entire Jewish nation, and all of that, I'm like, no, that's not the saddest part. To me, this is the saddest part, when you see one person who is so obsessed with one ridiculous thing, and that falls apart, and they're just totally destroyed, Right? Um, Haman, his goal in life is not money. He has unlimited money. You see that back chapter's back, right? Unlimited money. His goal in life is not position at all because he's second in the kingdom, right? That's not his goal. His goal in life is to be respected and honored by everyone. And even though everyone except for Mordecai honors and respects him, that one person just drives him completely crazy. Um, this is that, that kind of key verse in there, verse 12, Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate. He doesn't care. He's been honored, sweet as. He he carries on. But Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. Um, The question is like, is he really humiliated? No. When he said to the king, this is what you do to honor someone, he said, find the highest official. And he's then appointed as the highest official. So the king still thinks he's totally legit. Everyone watching would have thought, wow, look at Haman leading this guy. He said, wow, what an awesome guy. Everyone except in Haman's mind, except for Mordecai. So is he really humiliated? No. It's just that this this goal that he's just obsessed with, of having everyone respect and honour him, is being dashed by one person. So he's just destroyed, right? He feels like his life is pointless, ruined, blah, blah, blah. This led me to this weird place of thinking, man, I think it's good to regularly think about what is that one thing that we're striving for, right? Haman has everything. He has a wife assume family, he has friends, he has advisors, he has position, he has wealth. The one thing he wants is respect and honor from everyone, right? What about you if, if we were not in this giant room with a whole bunch of people? Um, and I said to you, what is the one thing you want more than anything else? What would be your answer? What's that one thing that maybe you've never shared it with anyone, I don't know, that one thing that you crave deep in your soul? What is that one thing that you're like, man, This is my life's goal. I I want this. I need this thing. Is it family? You're like, man, I want my family to be a certain (laughs) look. Is it wealth? Is it like, to be honest, man, I want to have financial freedom. I want to have money. Um, Is it kids? Is it to be married? Is it a certain career? I just, this is, I'm pushing hard, man. Anything gets in my road, I will smash it down because I am after this thing. What is that one thing? For Haman, it's this crazy respect thing, and it just destroys him. I want to read this cool verse from um, Luke 10. So you guys know this real well, but I just love it because if anyone's going to tell us what the one thing should be, it's going to be Jesus, right? He kind of knows what he's doing. So jump over to, um, to Luke 10. This is that story of, of Mary and Martha. And I know you know it, but I, I just love it because it's so clear in here. So, so my question is, what is that one thing? And, and then what would Jesus say? If I had a chance to ask him, the creator of the universe, hey, creator of the universe, <laughs> what should be the one thing that drives me? Um, and this is his, how he answers it, right? Uh, as Jesus, this is Luke 10, where are we, 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted. That's always, oh my gosh. Because who's in her lounge, right? Jesus, the creator of the universe, and she's distracted off cooking. You're like, Martha, shake. But then we do it all the time, right? Um, But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And I love Jesus' reply, right? Verse 41, but the Lord said to her, and he says this in love, right? Oh, my dear Martha, you're worried. You're upset over all these details. And this is the answer. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not, it will not be taken away from her. The one thing that Mary's discovered is to be with Jesus, right? To commune with Jesus. And that's what I was saying before. I'm feeling overworked and stressed, I think, because I'm, I'm still having time with Jesus in the morning and doing all that good stuff but I've allowed these special times with God where I go for my cool little walks and just check in to to be squashed away, right? I love that. Martha's doing good stuff. Hospitality in their culture is just prime. She's doing good things, but I love how it says she's distracted by this. There's one thing. What is the one thing that's most important? Family, career, wealth, kids, marriage? No. Jesus says the one thing is communion with him, spending time with him, connection with him, listening to him. Sitting at his feet, you know, in in quotes, and and listening to him. That's the one thing. I think when we connect with Jesus, when we spend, and I mean spend time, spend time, not a quick read a verse in the morning and, woohoo, bless me today, Jesus, catch you later. He's like, what, wait, oh, you're gone, oh, you know. Um, It's spending some time with him. How do I put that into my day? Um, Then we find fulfillment, right? Then we find happiness. Then we find well, we're looking for it in the beginning. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. I us love that, eh? He's the one who made you. He's the one who created you. He knows what your soul craves. Family's good, money's good, all that's good, but the, the one thing has to be connection with him. It has to be communion with him, right? When I do that, everything starts slowly <laughs> clicking into place, <laughs> And then I start not seeing coincidences so much. I start seeing more God incidences in my life as I see the blessing of God. Oh, things are hitting my fan. But because I'm listening to him, I I know why they're hitting the fan or I know how to turn the fan off. But if I'm not spending time with him, it's just like, oh, man, chaos, right? Chaos. Haman craves respect and honor, and it's all about to turn to custard. Oh my gosh. Let's read the last bit. This is hilarious. Chapter 7. And if you thought chapter 6 was funny, prepare to just go, (laughs) or not. I don't know. It's up to you how you want to respond. I just love this. I'm going to try and read this without interrupting, but I know I'm going to fail because I get too excited. It's a bad luck. Okay, so chapter (laughs) 7. So the uh, the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want. I always want to sing. You know what I want to sing, eh? Tell me what I want. What do you really, really want? I want it. I want it. I want it. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to sing that. Hey, we're in church, everyone. Let's be serious. Come on. No. <laughs> on the second occasion they were drinking wine, the king again said, I'm not going to say it to Esther. Tell me what you want. Queen Esther, quick, go fast. What is your request? I'll give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, and this is where it gets real serious. And you've got to keep remembering Haman's sitting there with his pole, ready to kill Mordecai, and wearing his look at me, I'm at the special thing. It's just me and the king hanging out with the queen. I'm so important, I'm so amazing. And he's about to go, ah, <laughs> which is so hilarious because we hate him, but we don't. We love him, but we don't like him. Verse three, Queen Esther replied, If I've found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. This is the queen talking to the king. If we'd merely been sold as slaves, I'd remain quiet, which is awesome. But that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. And I love the king's response. I imagine him going, what the? Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? The queen, ah! Imagine Haman's face. He's just like, Ah, I just love it, eh? Hey? Where are you guys? Okay, verse eight, 6. Esther replied. No, I can't do it like that. Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright, underlined before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out to the palace garden. Haman, however, is an idiot. Look at this. He stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. And this is hilarious. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. She's the queen. Just as the king was returning from the palace garden. You have to do one more for me. Coincidence or God-incidence? Turn to someone. You've got to turn to someone and say it. Is that okay? Turn to someone and say it. I've got the microphone. <laughs> It's just such hilarious timing. Like he could have fallen and then thought, ah, I'm on the queen, what am I doing? And got off, but he's groveling. And then the king comes in, who's already ticked. And now the king just, I oh, love it, eh? And next, this next line is just hilarious. The king exclaimed, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? It's like, oh my gosh. As soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, singling his doom. Now, this next bit is hilarious. So you know how in like a lot of administrations, there's always that really over-helpful person who's just extra helpful, and everyone's like, oh, it's Bob, he's so helpful. You know what I'm saying? Okay, because this next guy, I, as he sees this, I'm imagining Haman going, shut up, bro, shut up. So this is hilarious. This super helpful guy, whose name is Harbona, super helpful guy, listen to this. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard, and this is the best fit. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. It's like the king's like, tick this it, and oh, I just find it hilarious. And then then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. I'm just imagining Haman going, shut up, bro. So they impaled Haman on the pole he'd set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Oh my gosh, I'm exhausted, eh? It's just such isn't that the coolest like couple of chapters, eh? Yeah? Now, And here's the thing. When you read that, how many times as you're reading it, you're like, man, that is the hand of God. Yeah? It's just all through it, eh? Hand of God, hand of God, hand of God. Okay. I would love to be able to sit down with Jesus and have him open the book of my life and go, oh, you missed it, Craig. Hand of God. Oh, you missed it, Craig. Hand of God. Oh, you missed it, Craig. Hand of God. (laughs) I'd love for you to have that opportunity. I imagine if you could sit down with Jesus and him go through your life going, oh, no, no, no. That wasn't a coincidence, man. That was me. <laughs> blessing. <laughs> yeah, but that time, everything was, it was such a nightmare. I know, I know. But look at what happened. Because of that, look at the blessing. Look at the care. Look at, oh, I missed it. I thought, yeah. Hand of God in our lives. Hand of God in our lives. Hand of God in our lives. Man. Oh, my gosh. Hey, worship team coming up as I just finish this. One of the things I talked about before is that how do I find this balance between when do I fight? When do I listen to God? How do I find that? And you see this so clearly in the book, right? Mordecai, he's not honored. He could have fought for that, but he just sits back and lets, lets God take care of it. And then God takes care of it in the most perfect timing ever, right? If Mordecai had fought for that back then, hey, king, I saved your life. You forgot to honor me. You know, he threw proper channels. And he'd been honored back then, this whole end of the story would be totally messed up because this all starts with the king not being able to sleep, getting read the story, we forgot to honour Mordecai, and that starts that whole thing. On the other hand, though, Esther, when she finds out that they're going to wipe out the entire Jewish nation, she fights for that. So how do we know? <laughs> how do we know when to be Mordecai and just leave it with God? And how do we know when to be Esther and fight for that? And the thing I've been saying right through this whole thing is we've got to be in communion with Jesus or we won't know. We've got to be listening to him. We've got to be putting ourselves in places where we can hear him, right? Maybe in your day, I don't know, some of you are at uni, some of you are working, some of you are doing weird stuff. You've got to get into your day, these little times where we connect with Jesus, right? And connect, not read a quick verse and I'm gone and if I see to you five minutes later, what was the verse? You're like, I don't know. But I connected with, t- no. Just short things, eh? So, so as we sing, we're going to sing a song now. I just kind of plead with you, eh? What would be some little things you can bring into your life where you're going to better hear from God, connect with Him? Uh, maybe it's at work, you go on lunch break. I had a friend that used to do it, he'd go to the bathroom. He worked in a real high-stress place, but when he went to the bathroom, that was his Jesus' time. And someone said, go to the bathroom, to not go to the bathroom, but to hang out with Jesus, if you know what I mean. Um... So for you, what, what could be that time? What could be that place where throughout your day you're going to connect with him, right? How are you going to start seeing interruptions as maybe God slowing you down, God wanting to speak to you, right? It's cool. Hey, Etu, let's um, sing together next.